to another episode of Overlook Giants. I'm Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with entertainer, producer, and entrepreneur Kimani Brown, aka Key 510. I've known Key for many years, and she has always been cooler than a cucumber. She is multi talented and has done just about all of it in the music business. I've always admired her talent and her drive, and she definitely knows how to put on a good show and produce great events. I remember when I first encountered Key, we were at some nightclub and there were female exotic dancers. She was surrounded by some beautiful women. I later found out that she was the one that brought up the women from L.A. Uh, to dance. And I thought to myself, I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> this interview is a testament of what it means to keep pushing and creating your own way. Please enjoy. Oakland, California. Uh, former Sony recording artists, um, now uh, an independent. And um, I sing, I rap, I write, I produce. Um, I never had any, I've, I've written all my raps. I got three albums out um, from 97 to last year, 2019. So, you know, I've been in it for a long time. I um, I started in high school. Mm-hmm. I, my first record deal was with MFTP Records out of the Bay Area. And <clears throat> I was with them for maybe two years. And then I got the Sony deal. And mm-hmm. I left MFTP. Um, our founder who was also my manager, he passed away. So the Sony deal came right on time, Hmm. you know, because I was able to transition and, you know, be ready. I had some shows under my belt. I used to go to um, one of the, you know, most popular clubs in the Bay Area is called Jeffrey's Inner Circle. And they used to have a Thursday night, um, off-Broadway showcase where you, you know, compete and people sing live and they either play with the band or they do tracks. And so, you know, somebody told me I should go down there. And when I was, I think, 20, I wasn't even old enough to get in the club. I went and I started performing. You know, I you had to audition it to, you know, for them to pick you. So I, I got over the audition did my first show, was terrified because it was so many people, you know. So I used to wear sunglasses to mask my nervous, you know, um, energy. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> the first week I performed, I won. Second week, I won. Third week, I won. So back to back to back. I won 17 straight competitions. Wow. Yeah, I won 17 straight competitions. And it was um it was cutthroat because it was people that had sung with the likes of Shaka Khan and Whitney Houston and you know Stevie Wonder like they had all this stuff under their belt. Mm-hmm. And they were dope singers. But the fact that I fused uh, hip-hop and R&B 
before it was really mainstream and popular, mm-hmm. a lot of people really, really love that shit. So I just, you know, each week I got stronger and stronger. And eventually those sunglasses came off and I was able to look my audience in the face and be like, yo, I'm here to do the damn thing. <laughs> so, you know, you the grand prize. You win so many um, competitions. The grand prize was a thousand dollars, and so I won that thousand dollars. And I also won a residency at the club. So every Saturday now, I would perform with the band, the house band. Mm. We would, you know, play from nine to twelve, and you know, just you know, people dancing, you know have a good time right and um you know that's pretty much uh where i started and i was signed to the france division of sony Mm -hmm. so i spent time back and forth in europe recording performing touring you know so i moved from oakland to LA. I was still in college at the time. Hmm. So I moved, went to Long Beach um, State, then uh, Sydney College, stayed in LA for a while. Once my deal was over, my family had left the Bay, came to Sacramento. And so I moved up, you know, to SAC. And I've been here for, I think, 12 years now. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I've been in So that's what's up. All right, cool. So you said you started in high school, but were you involved in the arts prior to um, sort of that your your merge with the the group that you were with? Yeah, I um, you know, like so many of us, I started singing in the church. My first solo, I was five years old. <laughs> I'm going up beyond. There you go. <laughs> my pastor. <laughs> Right on. Um, so I that was my first solo at church. And um after I always knew I wanted to be a performer. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was like, you know, when I was a baby, I used to, you know, sing and you know, rock and you know, try to dance. And you know, when I was three years old, that's when I expressed I wanted to be on TV. Because I would watch a you know a lot of TV, and then I start pointing to the TV and told them I wanted to be in the TV. Mm-hmm. You know, so then five years old, church, grew up in church, and <clears throat> when I got to um, elementary school, they start us on the song flute. Then once you get to um, junior high school or middle school, uh, you pick an instrument if you wanted to be a part of the the music um, department. Mm -hmm. So I chose the violin and and they mostly made girls play violin, uh, string instruments or uh, woodwind, uh, clarinet, flute, you know, stuff like that. But I wanted to play the drums. (laughs) You know, but, you know, so I played the, the, the violin for like three years. Then, um, 
went to the clarinet and I kept um, my reeds, I would lose them. <laughs> and you know, you gotta have uh, reeds, it's like a, you know, yeah. a, a piece that you have to have to make the sound. Mm-hmm. And I would always lose them or, you know, they would be, you know, jacked up. <laughs> whatever. So then I finally got my music teacher to take me serious about playing drums. Okay. And I had a little experience playing drums at church. So I was one of, I think it was three of us, three or four of us girls at the school that wanted to be drummers and Hmm. they finally allowed us to play drums so i played drums uh through junior high uh middle school to high school um my ninth grade year i was in advanced band and then i auditioned for the castellers which is a world-renowned um choir ensemble that produced the Pointer Sisters, the Hawkins family, Tony, Tony, Tony. Um, it was a it's a big deal to be a castellier. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so I I auditioned, made it in, and spent the rest of my my high school career as a castellier. And that's where I started um performing professionally where we actually got paid and we went on tour and we used to do you know like we you know get excused from class to go do shows for um when Jesse Jackson was running for president we did his um democratic campaign and you know we just you know we do competitions and kick ass right. right we did classical we did gospel we did r&b jazz we danced we sang we did everything you mm-hmm. know so that was my first um introduction to performing live mm-hmm. you know and um as a professional gotcha and then um right out of that is when i got signed to mfcp so gotcha okay so Staying sort of in the in the area of your youth, um, when did you discover yourself as a queer person? Um, when I was fifteen, one of my good friends came out to me, mm. you know, and I already knew that he was gay. You know, we all knew, right. but he finally, you know, acknowledged it. And he's, um, he was two years older than me. And, um, but I grew up with, he, you know, his family and my family, we all grew up together. So mm. I've known him, you know, forever. And um, when he came out to me, we were on tour. We were in the Midwest, in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, Oklahoma, places like that. <clears throat> and we were just talking and he came out to me. And then another... A uh, guy that was in a choir who was a friend came out. So we all were talking. And at that time, I started to think about that whole situation with them. Mm-hmm. And then I applied myself to it. At the time, I had 
a boyfriend of my high school sweetheart that I was with until uh, my first year of college. <clears throat> so it was, you know, by the time I was 17, I was having dreams and I had crushes on some of the girls at school. But I didn't, because I was so involved in church, you know, the the Black Christian church, uh, Baptist and Pentecostal, uh, being gay was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I had those dreams and the those crushes, I was like, oh my God, I can't be gay. I can't be gay. So I started saying that at 17, mm-hmm. 18, then 19, I finally came out to myself. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, you know, for real, this is who you are. Right. But I would date secretly. I would talk to women secretly because as an artist at that time, especially being assigned to a major label, you couldn't be out. Mm. You know, it was, it was very, it was shunned upon if you wanted to be a mainstream artist. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've always, I have never been a, uh, uh, queer identified artists. I've always been, you know, just an artist, a main, I'm, you know, mainstream. Mm-hmm. So um, up until I started coming out to friends, that friend that came out to me when he was 15, when we were, I was 15, right. I came out to him first when I was 20. Yeah, I was like 20 years old, 20, 21. And <clears throat> every time I would go on a date, I would tell him where I was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we had like this little code. If I didn't like the girl on a date, he'll call like the first 10, 15 minutes. And if I didn't like her, I'd be like, oh, man, we got emergency in the family. I got to go. <laughs> so I would do shit like that. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I eventually came out to my mom when I was 23. <clears throat> and at the time, I had a boyfriend, and he um, was staying with us for, he stayed with us for a couple of months. You know, so it was like, you know, I had a, a husband in my bed. Right. And he was like, how can we never have sex? You know? Yeah. Stuff like that. We had sex before, but, you know, it was just like maybe one, we were together for like two years and I might have had sex with that nigga twice or something. <laughs> he, you know, he was always, um, he was a, a great, great guy, you know, and, um, we were laying in bed when he asked me that question, and I said, "Well, I think I'm gay." Hmm. And he said, "Word." I was like, "Word," you know. And um, we talked about that all night long till we fell asleep. And I told him, I said, "Well, I'm actually going to the gay club with uh, some of my friends on Sunday to the drag show." Hmm. 
I want to come. I was like, for real? He's like, yeah. So my first experience at a, a, a gay club, well, I had gone to the club, the benching bar in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I had performed there because they used to play my record. Okay. Um, but other than that, I had never been to a gay club. So we went to the benching bar for the drag show. He came. And um, everybody got along with him. He got along with everybody. He's super heterosexual, masculine football player, blah, blah, blah. But he never judged anybody. Mm. And we, you know, parted ways after that because it wasn't going to work. You know, he needed somebody that was going to really, you know, be, you know, focused on that. And I wanted to... um, get my feet I had my feet wet already but I wanted to you know start coming out more and you know doing more stuff so up until I was 27 I was still signed to Sony um in the business um for so long I didn't I used to try to mask my um, homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I would hang out at the gay clubs and, you know, we would go to the beach party in LA and different things across the country that was for LGBT people. Um, but I would, you know, lie and say I was going to like a conference or something, you know, something right. like that. Right. So when I was 27, I decided that I was going to stop that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had left, I was leaving Sony and um, starting my own label and, you know, put out my first record. And, you know, I was like, man, bump that. You know, I can't keep hiding like that. Right. You know, and so I, you know, started coming out to friends um, I really never came out to a lot of family members, but, you know, the ones that I trusted the most, I came out to. <clears throat> the ones that I have heard over the years say derogatory things about gay people, I was like, mm, I'm going to stay away from them because yeah. I don't want to, you know, have it be an altercation or whatever. <clears throat> when I told my mother, my mom, she just was like, well, you know, you're my daughter. I love you. I raised you right. You've always made great decisions for yourself. And I'm going to, um, you know, feel, I, I think that, you know, if you're making this decision, it must be the right thing for you. You right. know, you've always made great decisions. So that was my mom, you know, supporting my dad. He knew, but had an issue with it. So we never talked about it. Mm. Um, my parents were separated, <clears throat> getting a divorce at that time. And he just was, my dad was an asshole, a jerk, you know, all mm. my life. But when the gay thing came out, he really, um, wasn't nice. He wasn't cool. So, um, yeah. So 27 was around the age that I decided I was gonna stop hiding. 
Right. You know, and people found out. They found out. You know, but I, I didn't. I wasn't like walking in the room saying, "Hey, everybody, I'm gay." I wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I um, realized that I was uh, a masculine or a stud, what people would call a stud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to. I used to hate that. I didn't want people to label me. <clears throat> but I'm ma- a masculine woman who only is attracted to feminine women. Mm. So I was like, mm, 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 maybe I am that, you know. And so I started to embrace it. And then my parents started to change. Um you know, I wasn't as, I didn't dress as feminine. I didn't, um, you know, my hairstyle, like I would, you know, want different hairstyles that weren't so girly, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, it was like a, a evolution of who I was. So I went from a heterosexual girl to possibly bisexual to uh a, a new gay woman, the, the tomboy phase, into the stud. I mean, like I, you know, went through uh, 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 a real evolution of finding myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I was brought into the life by gay men. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I never... Uh, classified myself as a lesbian, I always um, said I was a gay woman, you know, because I was brought in by gay men. Right. <clears throat> you know, so my a lot of what I did and who I hung out with was gay guys. And once I got mature enough, they were like, now it's time for you to go with the women and get you, we have to find you a women mentor, a woman mentor. So they introduced me to a group of women, um, some feminine, some they butch, you know, real hardcore right. lesbian. And um, they took me in. I started to learn different things as a masculine woman and it, it just there was a <clears throat> I forget it's a was it called queer women of color? Yes. I think queer women of color was the name of the the group that we went to in Berkeley at the LGBT center in Berkeley. Okay. So I used to sneak away and you know go tell people I had to go to class. Mm-hmm. Which it really was, you know. It, we had a moderator um, who um, is became my godmother. She's still my god. Her and her wife—they're my godmothers today. They live in the same complex I live in, and we spend, you know, time together. So I learned from her so much, mm-hmm. and she was like the perfect moderator because she can relate with everybody and it was um 
it was like nonpartisan. And that was my first look at the different um, uh, facets of being a gay woman. It was, you know, like, the butch women, the ultra femme, the tomboys, the studs, the, you know, um, in-betweens, the bisexual, like it was like everything, you know, like you, like you said, uh, queer Mm -hmm. is more, uh, loose and it encompasses everybody. You know, anybody can say, oh, well, I'm, you know, a queer person. So that was my first real education on being um, a gay woman, learning how to be a gentleman. Um, I was always cool and, you know, pretty much a gentleman, but I needed refining. (laughs) (laughs) So the older films would take me in and, um, you know, they just, we would go on dates and spend time. We, I weren't dating them romantically, but we would go on, you know, uh, dates that were more so to show me the ropes. Right. Educational. Yeah. To teach me how to love. Right. And um, so that was my education with it. I um, I think we got on Facebook uh, 2008 or 2009. I started um, a radio show, Keyswell Radio, mm-hmm. on Blog Talk Radio, which is you know, pretty much a podcast. And... Um, I, on National Coming Out Day, it was the hardest thing for me to do because I was finally coming out to the world, to everybody completely. Mm. And um, I had been, you know, had a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend at the time. So I, I had been doing my thing, but it was still a private thing. Right, right. But on the radio show, um, for the kids out there, on National Coming Out Day, I came out to the world Mm. and cried as I was talking. My mother called in on the line to comfort me, to console me. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody was just like, man... That was, man, you brave. The ones that, you know, were gay too, but, you know, private like me. And that's the thing. The the women that I, the my peers mm-hmm. that I ran with, we were all tomboys. We were all studs, but we would try to, you know, mask it. Because we, you know, at the time had long hair. I had, I've always had really long hair. Mm. And um, I started changing it up where I would get it cut shorter and shorter. And then eventually I got it cut really, really short. But I got it cut in um, a, a style that can go, it, it, it could go either way. Right. 
So, but you know, when I came out on the radio show, um, it was just, it was so, um, it, it, it was, it was, it was so relieving, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, I got so many calls of people calling in and supporting me and, you know, um, other people came out. I mean, just was a great, a great situation. And so at that time, I, um, I, I still had issues with the church. That was another reason why I didn't come out, you know, because I was still involved in the church. I was in divinity school and being uh, groomed to be a youth pastor. And I mean, just was a lot of stuff. Um, the music career, church, school, and then this gay thing, you know, so um yeah, it, it it's it's been a journey, you know. But I ad- identify as a masculine gay woman. Um, I'm attracted to um, very feminine women. I my pronouns are she, her. You know, I'm a woman. I I don't you know. Um, doubt that mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying I don't I don't doubt it but um you know so, I've, I've, I've been called a misogynist <laughs> 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 and uh you know uh, a player and all of that but I just never um I saw red flags in all of my relationships And so I never really committed for a long time. So Mm -hmm. people, because I'm a serial dater, my mother called me a serial dater. (laughs) Uh, My mom calls me that. (laughs) Um, uh, I, you know, people misconstrue what my motives are and, you know, in terms of, you know, how I live my life or whatever. So. Uh, tell me how you were able to balance um, when you were, for instance, when you were signed with Sony and before you really came out, but you were secretly living this life. Um, how was that balance for you emotionally? How, how did that weigh on you emotionally, trying to be one way for the sake of your career and then still be authentic in really who you, you know, were at that time? It was heavy. It was heavy emotionally, you know, and um, I had dual majors in music and psychology. So music was my thing, my life. But once I took my first psychology class, I was so intrigued and I took every psychology class that I could and I would ace those classes because I was so, you know, um, engulfed in the mind and how um, the mind is unpredictable mm-hmm. and you don't know how you're going to deal with things. But there are tools that um, psychologists and psychiatrists used to try to get us and you know uh, some normalcy to um, 
things that is difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. Dysfunctional family, domestic abuse, you know, being uh, gay. And I mean, just it wasn't cool to be gay. Right. It wasn't cool to be gay at that time. So I use the tools from psychology, like the things I learned, to try and um, take myself out of it and, you know, look at different people's perspective. And I would be, I became more of a thinker than, you know, laying in bed crying at night or, you know, um, feeling guilty. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, I'm one of those people that I don't want to harbor on, you know, things I want to move forward. You know, I want to get it done, get over it, mm-hmm. move forward. And so um, I just, you know, would push myself not to, you know, fall into a depression because I did um, uh, fall into depression for maybe a year or two mm-hmm. about being gay, about being in the church, about, you know, being a... Uh, a mainstream artist. Right. You know, and um it that shit was heavy. It was heavy. In that so do you feel like at any point do you feel like being an artist and and you know sort of living in your passion, right? Doing this thing that you love, do you feel like you your your artistry suffered at all because you really weren't able to be authentically who you were. I mean, you know, what I, what I know of you and the music that, you know, I, I've um, heard of you since we met, which is, you know, probably what, maybe about, man, almost 10 years ago, I guess. But, um, you know, I've, when I first met you, you were obviously out and doing your thing and you know what I mean? And it wasn't uh, a secret. Right. And, but then, looking back on the music that you have produced now versus the music that was produced then, do you feel like your music suffered uh, in a way because you couldn't be really who you were? No, I actually evolved into a better writer, Mm. a better producer, a better musician, a better rapper, a better singer. Like I just got better. Mm-hmm. You know, the the more um, I got into the life. And so the songs that I write are pretty much about love, about relationships, about sex. Um, those are all my situations with women. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I would always avoid putting her or him. I would always say you. Mm. And that's what I um, I started to do. And, you know, when I, when I think about it, I think it's a perfect thing because I don't want to sing her, sing about her and my music. And then you are a man, a gay man, you, you know, you got to change it him. Mm-hmm. So I just, I keep it at you. Um, 
my my music video, my fantasy, I definitely, you know, put the stamp on it and showed everybody, right. you know, what was up. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, that was bold for me to do it because people was like, no, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. And I was like, it's done. <laughs> right. It's done. Right. It is done. And so my fantasy is not it my, my fantasy was written about Jill Scott. Mm. I met her when her first album came out. Who is Jill Scott? <clears throat> and she had her first show in San Francisco. Mm. Excuse me. And we went over to the concert, me and, you know, my brother and his boyfriend. And they had where after the show, if you wanted to meet her, you buy her CD and you get to meet her. So we bought the CD, you know, stood in line to meet her. Um, But during the show, it was incredible. Mm. You know, I had seen her on TV and stuff like that. And I wasn't, you know, really, her music was all right. I wasn't really paying her much attention. But when I saw her live, the first, when she first stepped out, I was like, wow. Mm. Like, she was beautiful to me. And then her music, the band, they sounded so damn good. Like, I felt like, I was listening to the record like I was inside of the the, the speakers, you know. Right. right. <clears throat> so I was standing. Um, it was like standing room where you could sit down or whatever. And I we were standing up at the stage, and um, I wasn't all the way on the stage. I was like, you know, maybe you know, three rows back from the stage, and um, I had my arms folded. And I was shaking my head like, wow, you know, like we do in church and we frown our face and we, you know, (laughs) throwing napkins and stuff like that. So I felt felt like that, you know, it was so dope. It was incredible. So while we were uh, fast forward, so when we were standing in line to meet her, um, maybe three people that were in front of us, um, you know, before, you know, they were almost... up there to meet her, she started rushing people. So she would like sign the the CD and, you know, tell the people, thank you. And then she would move to the next people. And when we got up to the front, she said, you, you come here. Mm. And I said, who, me? And she was like, yeah, you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like her personality, um, even more made me fall for her. Mm-hmm. And she held my hand the whole time. And it was just, um, I'm not going to say that. Well, I asked my brother, I said, was I flirting with her? He said, no, flirting with each other. <laughs> and I, I never, like, she's, I got to see how smart she was. Like, we held up the line. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you post, she posted a sign of CD. 
And keep Thank moving. you. And, and you keep it moving. No, we had full-fledged conversation for maybe 30 minutes. Oh, wow. <clears throat> wow. Security was like, you know, you gotta go. <laughs> but she was just like, no, I'm, I'm chill. And, um, I mean, she just, with her personality, her her brains, her humor, everything about her, um, I fell for her big time. Mm-hmm. I, I still love her. I still call her my wife. <clears throat> but um, I wrote my fantasy about her. I had to go to, uh, to France uh, to do some recording. And while I was on the plane, I, I had the music already, mm-hmm. but I wrote the lyrics and you know arrangement did the arrangement while I was on the plane flying over to Europe and um you know the rest is history so my fantasy is written for Jill but in my video I wanted to show me with a woman um from the introductory part to us being together and Love of different facets. Right. So interracial love, um, gay male love, sisterly love. Um, uh, what is it? May, Day, May uh, September relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, older woman, older man, um, younger man, you know, vice versa. Gay men. You know, I wanted to show that your fantasy can be any of those things. Right. You know, my fantasy is to have a better family, a better relationship with my sisters, a better um, relationship with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my wife, my husband, you know, a better relationship with my friends. Right. Right. And so that was, you know, that was the narrative that I gave for that music video, but it was for Jill. Right. The other songs that I've written have been, most of my songs have a a relationship in mind, a situation Mm -hmm. with a woman in mind, but I I don't name names. I don't even let them know, you know, because a lot of women get with me and they'd be like, you going to write a song about me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, I know that conversation. <laughs> but I end up writing a song about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's, 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 um, that's how I, um, I want to be universal. I want to always represent um, women, I always want to represent the black community. I always want to represent the LGBTQ uh, community. I always want to represent being an American. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the things that I want to represent. I got so many, and and also being, you know, uh, uh, a spiritual person. Right. <clears throat> so I, the, all those communities. I want them to be able to enjoy my music. So I have a question for you. Do you feel like if you, if, if when you came into um, your artistry, 
uh, had it been socially uh, acceptable to love whoever it is that you wanted to love, do you feel like at that point you would have now the um, the drive to want to make your music more universal? Or do you feel like, I, and I guess I'm coming from more of like a psychological perspective, meaning, you know, if it was acceptable for you to put she in a song, if that was just as commonplace as putting he, um, do you feel like that maybe your music might have more pronouns or do you still feel like it would be more universal? Um, I think um, the majority, you know, would have been universal, but if it was socially accept- acceptable, um, I probably would have a you know a few songs that had pronouns in it right you know okay. and um yeah I mean, I just, I mainly think about that from, and the main reason why I ask that is not necessarily to challenge your views on keeping it universal, because I, I certainly respect that, but uh, it more so comes from a place of when I just think of, um, you know, when you're coming up in your youth and you're at that point where you're trying to figure out life, and then I think about the kids now um, that are discovering themselves and discovering their passion for the arts. Um, and sort of, you know, I, I, it is my hope that they can use a lot of what has already been done to inspire them to want to kind of step out there much sooner in life um, to feel comfortable to use those pronouns and sort of make it commonplace. You know what I mean? Um, whether it be in their painting or whether it be in their poetry or, you know, if they're a hip hop artist or if they're an R&B singer, whatever the capacity of art it is that they practice. Um, I just, I try to imagine what it would be like to feel that comfort in uh, just using whatever pronoun it is you choose to use, you know? Uh, But I digress. Uh, So moving on. But to to address that though, I don't want to isolate the straight kids that love my music. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So if you are a girl, uh, a heterosexual girl who likes boys, I don't want to isolate you by just addressing the um, the uh, LGBT community. Right. Just like I don't want to isolate other uh, uh, races, other nationalities. I don't... I never wanted to um, isolate people. You know what I'm saying? Because what I notice at shows is everybody, uh, you know, from, you know, Black, Asian, uh, Latino, you know, just all the different races, white, Caucasian, would love my music. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I never... Being more universal to me is um, is cool. I think that's um, for me it's appropriate because I do represent so many communities, mm-hmm. and I don't want anybody in my communities and you know other communities. I don't want anybody. I want you to hear my music and just love it. I don't want you to you know have to even think about pronouns, right? And 
you know, um, I, I think we just, we put, we're putting, we start uh, separating and dating. Right. When we do things like that, that's just my thought. That's just my thought. Well, I mean, I completely uh, agree. And what, like I said, I, I um, certainly, uh, I love and respect the, the universal aspect. And I, I think even as myself as a writer, um, I often try to keep it universal so that it does reach more avenues, more areas, and so that more people are able to feel connected to it. Um, sure. And so, you know, you mentioned your connection to different communities and, and the different communities that you're representing. And so uh, I'd like to sort of switch gears a little bit and talk um, a little bit about when, at what point in life did you uh, discover your race? Was it, did it become evident to you that you were who you were in terms of uh, ethnicity? Um, probably maybe third, fourth grade. But I had never been like called a nigga or, you know, felt racism. Mm-hmm. I always got along with other races. I was um, a scholar. Mm. So most of my educators were white. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I started getting into, I wanted to be a lawyer and a recording artist. Mm. So when I was younger, I, when I was in the sixth grade, I became class president. And after that, I was president of my class every year until I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, eighth grade, I became a student body president. Uh, Twelfth grade, I was student body president. Eleventh grade, I was also all city council president, which means I was president of all of the schools in Oakland Unified School District. Mm. <clears throat> so with that, I also did moot court where we would be lawyers and we would argue cases against different schools. It was like a, a, a basketball game, mm-hmm. but it was a, a court case. So I did that you know, to give my, and, and I had attorneys as coaches. Mm. Um, I also was a part of being a part of government. I got into politics in terms of coming up here to the state capitol and um, lobbying for, you know, more money to uh, put um, uh, more money for the performing arts in schools and, you know, uh, better uh, lunch and, you know, things like that. Right, right. So I was doing all of that stuff, which meant I was around all different races. Mm-hmm. So I always felt comfortable with, you know, white people, with Asian, you know, my family, my dad's family is part Asian. So, you know, I, I 
wanted to connect to them more anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt, um, I knew I was black and I was proud to be black, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, um, I didn't throw that in people's face either. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't try, you know, to let people, I, I, I wasn't one of those people like, oh, I, I need you to like me. Please like me. I was never like that. I was just like, take me or leave me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I wasn't, I'm from the hood, but when I was in no setting, I wasn't hood. Mm. You know, I was more refined and educated and, you know, um, culturally diverse and, you know, just, I, I was universal. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't until I moved to Sacramento in 2006 that I I was called a nigga. Mm. And I felt, uh, discriminated against Mm. in my first few years here I got into it with many 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 people out here because they were racist Mm. so there was a phase in high school where I was part of the black student union and we would go we would deal with like the black fraternities and sororities. We would deal with like militant groups. So there was a point in high school where I was pro-black mm-hmm. and and knew that I was black. Right. But then I started to isolate those people of other races that I loved. Right. Because you can't hang around me right now. You, I can't kick it with you. And it was mean. It wasn't, it wasn't cool to isolate other people. I never want to be isolated. Right. You know, do unto others as you want them to do to you. You know, so that was always my mind frame. My family was always like that where, um, Everybody is welcome. Mm. Long as you cool people, you're welcome. You know, so I never really um, put emphasis on the fact that I was black, but I always knew that I was black since, like I said, uh, seven years old, eight years old, third grade. And um, that's when I realized the different skin colors. And it became noticeable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the difference. And I think the difference was noticeable because of older people influencing us mm-hmm. to notice the difference. You know, because when you are a kid, you don't, you just have friends. You don't have like black friend or my white friend. Right. We don't get into that until we, you know, like in high school. Right. And uh, so. Well, so um, we, I got one last question for you and then we're going to wrap up. Um, but this last question, it's sort of 
it's going to be like three questions rolled into one. So <laughs> <laughs> the first is, of the three is, um, you know, if you were to speak to someone, a, a young queer woman of color who is, you know, just coming into themselves, you know, and discovering who they are, uh, how would you explain to them what love looks like to love looks like to you? Um, I mentor some young masculine women uh, across the country that I met online. They approached me, mm-hmm. you know, and um, or I was in a group and we would, you know, become acquainted like that. And it would be little things that they would say and I would, you know, correct them you know, on being better, on being, you know, more refined. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to young people, and I, I also do um, uh, speaking engagements to LGBTQ youth mm-hmm. um, and young adults. So when I talk to them about love, I talk about the heart. Mm. I talk about the the feeling. Like if that person pleases you, mind, body, and soul, you know, and you find them attractive in various ways, then you probably love them. Mm. If you deeply care about somebody, that's love. And so what, what is your definition of self-love? The same thing. Self-care, self-love, um, adoring yourself, you know, like looking in the mirror and say, yo, I love you. Mm-hmm. You know, just embracing yourself and um, learning how to cope um, with your flaws and all. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Accepting the mistakes that you've made. Like, I'm, I'm human. I make mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Or I might cuss you know, use profanity a lot and people don't like that. Or I don't like it because I feel kind of weird, you know, cussing. I'm the only one cussing and nobody else cussing. I mean, embracing everything about yourself, Mm. the good and the bad. You know what I'm saying? Loving yourself, self-care, taking care of yourself, being able to go to the movies by yourself. Mm. Being able to take yourself out to lunch, being able to um, stick up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, final one of the three. If uh, in talking to this young woman, and um, you know, she's an artist and trying to find her way. Um, to feel comfortable in being who she is in her art, uh, what advice would you offer 
to this young woman who's, you know, still trying to figure out what pronouns it is they want to use or, you know, right. what love is for them. Yeah. Um, for, for our, our artistry, um, you definitely got to talk, you know, communicate better um, and find out what it is those young artists want to do. You know, do they want to use she or do they want to be more universal? Like trying to figure out what they want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if in a perfect world, what would you want to do? And then once listening to that, I can gauge, you know, which direction to tell them. But the main thing is to have, uh, get yourself a tribe, get yourself a support system. Mm. It don't got to be, it, and it shouldn't be a whole bunch of people. You, you know, have a couple of people, a handful of people, whatever, but you don't, you don't need more than seven people. You don't need all of that. But you need a support system, people that's going to support you and lift you up when you are uh, thrown away, when right. you are uh, uh, discriminated against, when, you know, you, the heat is on you, you get a bad uh, press um, uh, uh, article written about you. I mean, it, it's, you got to have a support system. Mm-hmm. And you also have to do that self-care, that self-love that I talked about. Right. You know, so that's one of the things that I was saying, and always be true to yourself. Like, do what you feel. Do what you feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I've done shows that, you know, people, I, I was hella gay in the show, in front of straight people. Right. And um, it didn't go off well. Right. You know, but then I started to um, say, shit, I don't really care. You know, love me or leave me. Right. Love me or leave me. You know, self-care. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Have a support system. Mm. Be true to your arts. Be true, you know, to what it is you want to do. If you want to paint naked women, all your paints are paintings are naked women. Do that, right? You know, do what you feel. As long as you are not uh, hurting others, I think it's all right. Right. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time out again. Um, This was really a great conversation and I'm looking forward to uh, taking a listen back (laughs) and using uh, some of your words to help to inspire others. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to this interview with Key. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she's up to and what she has coming up next. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed. One love.